Welcome to our newest episode of the Lebanese Physicians Podcast. And today we will be discussing an episode on medical supplies in Lebanon and particularly discussing the lack of medical supplies in the cardiac electrophysiology world. And this, this translates currently in Lebanon to a lot of other specialties at the same time. My guest today is Dr. Bernard Harbiye who is an electrophysiologist or cardiac electrophysiologist at the American University of Beirut and uh, currently based in both AUBMC and the Kassaran Medical Center. And Dr. Harbiye was at AUB, finished his fellowship there and went, did a cardiac electrophysiology fellowship at Emory University and then ended up moving back to Lebanon. Welcome, Bernard, to the podcast. Thank you. So can you tell me, when, when did you uh, move back to Lebanon? How long have you been in Lebanon for now? So I moved back to Lebanon in uh, June 2015. It's almost like six years, okay? I finished my fellowship at Emory that time, and I moved back to Lebanon. I've, and I've been in Lebanon for almost six years now in practice in EP, like you said, in Beirut and in Kisroen. And when you moved back, can you tell us a bit, how was the uh, EP practice in Lebanon? Like, was it already set in stone, or was there a lot to build on and improve in terms of procedure availability? So uh, when I when I moved back to Lebanon, the EP, EP programs were all were were in good shape, let's say. There are there were some procedures that were not done. I started some doing some procedures here when I came back, but in general it was okay. It was acceptable. There are larger procedures that were done. We have or four procedures that are complex procedures that were not done before and we started the program there and we are we've been doing them for almost five years until like recently. Then we stopped doing everything. And so, so some examples of procedures you do, I guess, I mean, the common one is, right, pacemaker insertions, yeah. which is a common one to do, but pacemaker then there's others that are much more complex, right? Yes, like uh, in, in the world of EP, we divide them into two major parts, the device part and the ablation part or the electrophysiological part. So device part includes pacemakers, defibrillators, the, uh, whether single or dual or triple chambers, and then ablation part where we do ablation for different arrhythmias, different types of arrhythmias, whether atrial fibrillation, whether supraventricular tachycardias. And there is a third section in electrophysiology that we do is the, the extraction, the lead extraction. Whenever we have a device which is infected and you need to remove the device and the lead. So this is kind of the practice that we do. And these procedures, I mean, in, in Lebanon especially, you need to import all the equipment to do these procedures from outside the country, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like you have to, for, for all our procedures, you have to get the products from outside Lebanon. You need the companies to get them for you. They are pretty expensive products. Yeah, they are, they are really expensive. Like if we're talking about devices, like from a single pacemaker, it starts with like two, $3,000 the device, and it can reach with defibrillator or subcutaneous defibrillators can reach up to $20,000, $25,000 okay, per device. We're saying just we're talking about only the device. Uh, or if we go for ablation, catheters, uh, the price of single catheter, you know, in ablation, well, like we use three or four catheters, the single single catheter, sometimes the pr uh, price starts from $1,000 and can reach like $5,000. Before the October 17th revolution in Lebanon, were insurance companies paying for these procedures or were patients paying out of pocket? No, before that time, the insurance were covering, the third-party payers were covering. We were, okay, we, uh, we, we used to struggle a bit with the insurance companies. We just talked to them and there, but at the end, we were able to do the procedures. So there was no problem at all at that time. So basically, everything was rosy and good until October yeah. 17th hit, and then the banking sector completely failed. 
and people yeah. uh, could not have any more access to their money. So exactly. what's been happening since that time? Like, I, I think initially after October 17, I mean, things continued basically probably at the same pace for a number of months, right? Yes. Then they started getting worse. Yeah, so we started having, at the, at the very beginning, we're still having, you know, like every hospital have her own stock and every company has her own stock. So we were doing okay the first month. Like, let's say like three to, to six months, we were doing okay. Then we start having shortages. We start having more shortages more and more and more. And this was the problem. And this is, okay, at the beginning, we were like, you have shortage one company, you can use the other company. But now you reach a point when you have shortage in all the companies. And this is the disaster. And uh, initially shortages, I guess, were more in the more advanced procedures, right? Like ablations Definitely. and... Yeah. Things like that, so they probably started decreasing in number. Uh, and then shortages yeah. have translated into much more common procedures recently. Yes. So the shortage starts with the ablation. But, you know, like ablation, like doing atrial fibrillation ablation, okay, I can say, okay, I can put, I can uh, give the patient, keep the patient on medications. I can always keep fighting. But uh, SVT ablation, that we can manage. This is maybe like, it's not vital if you want. But now we reach a point that we don't have the basic for, like, for example, which is the pacemakers. Pacemaker is not having a pacemaker. This means the patients will die. It's as simple as this. You're like, uh, defibrillator for primary prevention, okay, we are fine. We're not going to take them. But pacemakers, like, if you have a patient coming to you and his heart rate is like 20 or 25, and he's like, you know that this patient is not going to, his, his pulse is going to be like zero. He's going to be asystolic, what we say in our, in our medical terms. And, and it's not going to take more than 48 hours. So this is the problem. This was the problem and the major problem that we were facing. Yeah, and I think recently you've had a number of patients who have had that problem. Uh, it was in the news. Can you, can you give us yeah. some examples of what happened recently? Like just a live example of what happened recently? Yeah. Yeah. One of the examples, if a patient came to me who already has a pacemaker and he is completely dependent on his pacemaker and the pacemaker is end of life and it's been end of life for like, uh, like two months. You know, like when we end of life with a pacemaker, we it lasts somewhere around like three months. So already two months has passed and he still has one month. And like we, we, we need to change his pacemaker and the pacemaker is not available. So this is the problem. It's not available. And what can we do if we, if we don't change the pacemaker? It's as simple as this. The patient will die. Okay. And this was like really painful. Like you have the patient in front of you and you're telling him, I'm sorry, I can't do anything. We need to get the pacemaker. You need to get pacemaker. I can't help. Like I tried, we called, and this is that. This is it. Like he was lucky. Then we 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 like we went on the news, and at the we were able. Uh, someone uh, called his son and got it from uh, from uh, Dubai, and then they sent him, and I would change it. And this was one example. I had other uh, other examples. Then we made a deal. You know, some hospitals refuse to accept doing a procedure on a patient's getting device from outside like the big hospitals, they refused. So we, we made a deal with the hospital, you have to accept. So I had other patients who were out of devices. I had the patients who need a single chamber pacemaker who has a complete AV block with AFib, and he needs a pacemaker, a single chamber pacemaker, and it was out of stock. His daughters called someone and they got it for him from Germany. They got the device from Germany. And this is how it's been, we've been dealing recently. And you know, the problem, the, the whole problem is, financial, government, the whole issue. So basically, uh, what people are doing is they fly over from Germany, carry a pacemaker with them in the bag and <laughs> bring it over yes, to you, yes. right? 
Yes, yes, this this yeah. happened from Germany, uh, from Germany, one from Dubai, and one from the, somewhere Jordan or anywhere. So this is what they did. They had the, they, they they came to the to the clinic. Hey, doctor, this is the pacemaker. They put it in their in their luggage. So basically, how are things imported? Just for people to know, how are things imported in Lebanon? It's from my understanding, I mean, I was there and it's it's more like certain companies that have mm -hmm. the rights to import certain products and they are the only ones who import them, right? Yes. So the, the issue that we have, you know, like these are products that are supported by the government, okay? Supported, what do we mean by supported? So if the device costs like $5,000, the government is covering like 85% of the price of the, of the product at the basic rate that we have, which is like 1515, and 85, 15%, which is at the regular rate, which is the dollar, or here we call it the fresh dollar. The so this is why. Rate, right? Yes, the black market rate. So this is how we've been dealing this. So the company will order these products, okay? And uh, the, comp uh, the, the local company will sell it to the hospital. The government has to transfer the money to the international company at the exact rate. Like the international company is sending the pacemaker, let's make it easy. The pacemaker is sending it for $3,000, okay? She wants $3,000. So the local company has to pay 85% of this at the 1515 uh, and 15% at the black market rate to the government and the government has to pay the full amount. This is what we mean by supported products. And the problem with this, like when we had, we were stuck in this problem, we told the, the local companies, we have patients willing to pay the, the total amount and the black market rate, but they are not allowed to get it by the black market rate, but because this is a general rule from the government. And that's why we, 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 we face this problem, and that's why we send a lot of patients to get it from outside Lebanon. So the government did not transfer the, the money to the international company. So the international company did not send more products to the local company, and the local company ran out of products. This is the whole issue. Yeah, so basically, it's an issue of subsidies, like the government subsidizing Equipment exactly. as it has been doing for a long time, but the problem with subsidies right now is that uh, subsidized rates at fifteen fifteen, while the black market rate is fifteen thousand to twenty thousand, so about ten to fifteen times maybe the 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 regular rate, and the central bank is not sending money outside anymore to subsidize exactly. these products. Yes, but if if the subsidies go away and patients have the money, then companies can import as needed, right? Whenever like a yes. patient needs it. Yes, but the central bank does not allow the companies to get it at a, a, a at a regular price, not a supported price so far. Now it's a good news because yesterday, the first company got her products. Because last by, by the end of last week, I'm just I'm not talking about all the products. I, I'm talking about the basic and the vital, which are the pacemakers. So last week, uh, the central bank signed some papers and transferred the money to the companies outside Lebanon. So one of the companies to, uh, yesterday received the first pay, uh, group of pacemakers. And today, we were lucky to put the pacemaker. So we are talking, we are happy that we are doing this instead of like, you should be happy of doing much more complex things. You are happy that finally we have a pacemaker, but though 
they told us that they have limited number of pacemakers. So yesterday they received, let's say, around 60 pacemakers, one of the companies. The 60 pacemakers, it will last like two, three weeks. Hopefully this will be uh, recurrent. Yes, yeah, so it's more like solve, solving it on a temporary basis at this point. Exactly, yes. Happens. So basically, let's say a patient is, is poor and does not have any fresh money to pay and their heart rate is 20, what happens? Unfortunately, I had one patient like this, okay? And uh, he, he cried, like I called. Then he, he left the clinic. He was saying, my age is 85. It's so sad to say it, but he said, it's time for me to leave. This is what he said. So like he left, then we had to make our phone calls and uh, you know, like he's like really poor and he does not have, he does not have any cousins outside Lebanon. So at the end, what we did, like we were able to help him. We called some societies and we were able to help him at the end. But this is what you see, if you don't do anything for them, they will die. It's as simple as this. This problem translates into medical supplies outside of cardiology, right? Like uh, medical supplies and a lot of surgical subspecialties uh, are exactly. not available anymore. Exactly. Like an orthopedic surgery. I know that there are a run of prosthesis, like knee prosthesis, hip prosthesis, like, uh, and different specialties. This is a problem not only in cardiology. Cardiology is one example. Okay. Like also we do appendage closure. So we do the appendage closure for patients with atrial fibrillation and taking blood thinners and they are at risk of bleeding and they cannot take blood thinners. So we put an appendage closure. Uh, this is now the company, you know, uh, you go to this procedure, you take measures and you take the size of the appendage and you use this appendage closure device. So the company now has only three out of five or six sizes. What can you do? You don't take the risk. You cannot take the risk and go. And for example, you need a size that's not available. What can you do? You leave, so you don't do. So basically, there's to summarize just a bit the problems for everybody to understand. So one problem yeah. is the lack of availability of medical supplies, even if the patients have the money. The okay. other problem is patients who don't have the money and cannot afford the medical supplies. And is there a third problem, which is insurance companies basically paying at only a certain rate and the patient has to pay a much bigger portion of the bill uh, exactly. because insurance companies pay it at the 15-15 rate, but they don't make up for the fresh dollar difference that occurs in these procedures. Yeah, so this is the current problem. This is the third uh, important problem because we have two types of, uh, of uh, third-party payers, the insurance and the governmental, if you, let's say. So the, any governmental uh, third-party payers is still paying at the rate of the 15-15. So can you imagine the device, which costs $5,000, okay? And the, the, the third-party payers paying at the rate of 15-15. Who's going to pay the difference? It's the patient. Or insurance... Some insurance are paying part at a higher rate than the 1515 and part on the 1515. But still, this does not cover the, uh, the medical equipment. And now the patients are stuck being paying difference. A lot of difference. It's amazing. You know, like nowadays you can see a patient going to the hospital, doing a basic procedures and leaving and paying, let's say, somewhere around 70 or 80 million. 70 or 80 million. Okay, so, you know, 
before before October 17, this was let's say uh, 50, 60,000 dollars, US dollars. So this is a major problem. So, yeah, so, ba so basically, if patients cannot afford anymore do the procedure unless they have somebody who's working outside the country who will be able to subsidize them or help them out with paying for these procedures. Unfortunately, yes. Unfortunately. So what is what is the uh, Lebanese Order of Physicians and the Lebanese Society of Cardiology trying to do to fix the problem? Huh. Well, it's so sad to say that they're doing nothing. It's so sad. Like, really nothing. I know that, you know, like, they keep fighting. They are fighting. The Lebanese Order of Physicians is fighting to get a better deal with the insurance companies to cover more and, and, and. But, you know, you don't see that the problem and that now we feel this, nobody cares. It's as simple as this. Nobody really cares. Everyone, like, I don't know. It's, it's, so, it's so sad to say it. I'm not going to elaborate more about the Lebanese Order of Physicians and the Lebanese Society of Cardiology because I'm so pissed on this. Is it because they don't want to do anything or because they can't do anything? Most a... probably they can't. To be fair, most probably they can't. Just to be fair, they can't. But you know, when, when you team up as a team, okay, and uh, I don't know, like, you, you need to do something. You cannot just leave the thing. This is the, this is, this is the aim of when you have a group. This is, it's an order of physician. So th there's, a, there's a job for this order of physician. Okay, most probably, and I know, I, just, I, just, I, I don't want to blame anyone. I know that most probably they won't be able to do anything. But still, we didn't see anyone going to the roads. With the, we didn't see anyone going to the, to the government. We, we didn't see anything like this. Yeah, so basically, it's, it's, a, it's a failure of the healthcare system, I guess you can say, because the doctors are not getting reimbursed adequately for the procedures that they're doing because they're still being reimbursed at the 15-15 rate, i.e. they're being reimbursed at multiple times lower than they used to get paid prior to October 17th. The, the, the patients cannot find medical supplies even if they have the money to pay for them. And if they can find them, a lot of the patients cannot afford them at this point. So in, in your opinion, I mean, I know you're not, you're not like... Uh, <laughs> you're not like uh, a minister or something like that, but in your opinion, like what can the minister, because now there's a new government, right? What can the new minister of health uh, do to at least start fixing this problem? So basically, I think the, more, the optimal solution to what should be, needs to be done is you need to decide in every specialty what's the life-saving procedure and what's the uh, regular procedure. Like, you should prioritize your cases. This is what you need to do. So life-saving procedure that should come as a priority and you should not take any risk of not having the, the equipment uh, needed for such procedures. I can, I accept in this situation not to do a fib ablation. I totally accept from myself as an electrophysiologist, but that I don't accept to have not having a pacemaker. This is what they need to do. And this is what should be done, not at the level of only of equipment, even at the level of the of the medications is at a different level. So you guys now you are in a you are in a crisis. You need to know what's urgent and what's not urgent. Right, and try to prioritize importing at least the urgent stuff, uh, maybe at subsidized rate, and maybe or maybe letting the companies import them at black market rates if the patients have the money to pay for them. Exactly. Uh, right, right. And from a professional, so a question for you from a professional standpoint, because. 
I mean, you're an EP specialist. You went, you worked hard, you studied, uh, you were able to get proficient in doing a large number of procedures in the field. And now you're not able to do these procedures. How do you go around this? How do you try to keep your skill set uh, or even improve your skill set over time? You know what I mean? Because things keep changing and improving with time. So basically what I'm doing, I'm just, you know, uh, I'm proctor for different procedures in the Middle East and North Africa region. So I'm doing the procedure outside Lebanon. This is what I'm doing right now. And uh, I signed a, a, a part-time contract with one of the hospitals uh, in, uh, in, in Qatar. So this is what I will be doing. Uh, this is, you, you, otherwise you will lose your skills. If you don't do a procedure, you will lose the skills. You know, if you, if you reach a point that you cannot do your procedures and you cannot find a part-time job outside Lebanon and you cannot uh, do any of your procedures, the only solution is for you to leave. Or you have to accept that you're going to be a regular general doctor. This is, I think, that just for people to know, this is, I think, the dilemma that's facing a lot of the uh, profession, physicians in Lebanon, and probably all the professionals in the country right now. It is, do you leave? Do you stay? If you stay, exactly. you have to be part-time outside and try to make it work uh, for a while to see if you can weather the storm and uh, and yeah. uh, be able to uh, make it work. So, and and I think there was some statistics recently. I don't know if it's right or wrong from WHO saying that about forty percent of doctors have left the country already. Yeah, yeah. I think it is. I think uh, the Lebanese officer of physician. They mentioned a number similar, yes. The others who are staying, I think it's uh, some of you are staying by choice because you want to stay and you're trying to help out, but you're part-time staying, part-time working outside. Yeah, you know, uh, we're spending half of our time in Lebanon, half of our time outside Lebanon. We're spending our time in the planes. You know, like this is a transitional period until we reach a decision that we should leave for good. Hopefully not, but we don't, you never know. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully the, the government is listening. Uh, maybe the new government <laughs> is listening and hopefully they will make the necessary changes because not only, I mean, you, you're not only losing supplies and, and procedures and skill sets, maybe you're, I mean, this is making you lose medical tourism, but also you don't want to lose some of the professional doctors that are there. Because then if you don't have doctors, even if you get the supplies a year from now, there's nobody to do the procedures for you. So exactly. it's an important exactly. thing. Like I would just say a simple example. We used to be a 20 electrophysiologist, okay? We're now almost five or six and only like two or three like uh, do complex procedures. It's, you know, like just as one specialty. Right, right, right. And, and, uh, and, and different specialties the same. Other specialties are the problem is the same. Right. Any any final words, uh, Bernard? Or final word is to pray. <laughs> Nothing else. <laughs> we reach a point that only pray. Like you tell your patients, you need to pray. Nothing will happen to you. <laughs> this is what you need to do. <laughs> if you're not, if you're not, hopefully not. You know, like uh, the, like our only our only hope. The, this new government can make a little change. We don't expect this government, the new government, to make any major change. We, we, need, we expect to do a little change just so we'll be able to survive this period. I know it's a tough period on our country. It's going to be tough for the, even the coming year, but it depends if we can do it a bit easier on everyone. Hopefully.
this is our only hope. How can people help from outside at this point? Like I know a lot of people, NGOs uh, in the US and other places, uh, they, they want to help. They're sending medications. They're trying to help with things. Uh, how can they help with this? So basically what they can have, I have uh, several, several, uh, several people calling me and especially when we went over the media and the interview and doing this. So basically what we can do, what they can do, we can, like you can create a kind of a group a group of people, okay? They can team up between Lebanon and outside Lebanon. And whenever we see any procedure and need that is vital, this is when we can send help. We can send help simply by sending the products that are not, this is what we've been doing. Like whenever I have a pacemaker now, okay, and the patients, we know that he doesn't, he does not have anyone outside. Let's call this is this group. This one, this one offered his help. Let me let me talk to this guy. This is what we are doing. We should do it on if you want on a bigger or a better uh, organization, if you want. But this is the only way. This is yani, it has it, uh, it has to be on a personal level. Uh, or why? Because I don't trust. Literally, I don't trust. Uh, people from outside Lebanon sending their money to a group in Lebanon because you don't trust the group in Lebanon that will do in the one. So that's why it should be personalized patient by patient, name, name, name of the patients and the details of the patients because I do believe the corruption in Lebanon reached a level that's not acceptable. So if you ask for a donation or a help for to help patients, I know the donation is not going to be used well in Lebanon. They're going to use it for different purposes, unfortunately, but this is the corruption that. Yeah, because because that's a good point that you brought, because the NGOs, let's say in the US, you can go online and find out how much uh, of the money is being used for administrative purposes and how much of the money is being used to help the people who would benefit from it. And in Lebanon, there is no such thing. Like you cannot no. go and research where the money is going. No. No. It could be eighty percent administrative, twenty percent for help. But for all you know, uh, maximum twenty so. percent. I bet you most maximum twenty percent. All right, thank you, Dr. Habib. This was a, I think, uh, great interview, and uh, hopefully things will get better, and hopefully people will be able to help out and at least keep things moving uh, forward for both for the sake of the doctors and the patients. Yes, hopefully, and thanks for you.